Well, let's continue in prayer this morning. Father, we just thank you so much for your love for us as we just sung about and that you invite us and you compel us to love you in return. And uh, the way that we do that is we love one another and you have uh, created us and placed us in horizontal relationships and with other people. And Lord, I pray that you would just continue to transform our lives, our relationships in all kinds of ways. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that we are celebrating, that we are inviting more of, that we are longing for, uh, that we are teaching and focusing on in this 50 days series, Lord. I just thank you that our faith is based on the reality of your resurrection. And as we think from resurrection to Pentecost Sunday, that we'll look at and celebrate next week, the establishment of the church and the coming of your Holy Spirit in a unique and powerful way, Lord. We pray that we would experience in this day just a, a, an increasing fullness of your Spirit in our lives and in our church. And so, Lord, we thank you. And uh, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and obedient hearts and that you would lead us this morning as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of our human tendencies that I think a lot of us struggle with, I'll speak for myself, I know that I speak for, for many of you, is that we have this human tendency to just sort of have a head down and go kind of approach to life. And we even have that phrase that, that you know, says when we sometimes talk to each other, you know, it's just sort of head down and go time. And I think that that is often the case. I know uh, even as life gets challenging and as we are uh, walking and wanting to not stumble in a metaphoric way in our lives, and, and the terrain is challenging and difficult, and we uh, are experiencing things that cause us to actually look down. We look at our feet, and we sort of uh, don't look up a whole lot. And we have that mentality that we have to be productive, we have to get through this, we have to keep going, and so it is just sort of that head down and go time. But the reality is, is that we also need to be looking up. The reality is, is that we also, in order to be able to see things that are new or to see something bigger, we, we need a perspective other than just looking at our feet, don't we? We have to look up. And in order to actually look up, I think that more often than not, we actually have to stop. We have to pause in order to get a different and a bigger perspective. I remember uh, a number of years ago when I was in New York City and I was walking through Manhattan and if you've been to New York City, the buildings are spectacular, uh, but you can walk along and just sort of, again, just sort of head down and look uh, on the horizontal plane, and it looks like um, many other cities, but when you actually stop and you look up and you see the buildings and you see, uh, you know, the Empire State Building and you see Rockefeller Center and you see these Times Square and you see all that, I mean, you, you can't walk in New York with, you know, have your head up. You have to have to stop and look and just sort of take it all in. And it's spectacular. When uh, I've led groups, and I've talked about this before, on uh, multi-day hiking trips, I often remind themselves and me, uh, in order to see the beauty of God's creation that you actually came out here to see, you need to stop and look up once in a while. Otherwise, you just sort of go through this journey, and all you do is look at your feet, and you make sure you don't trip and stumble, but you don't see anything. And so you need to stop and look up. We see the beauty of God's creation and more of the fullness of God and the beauty of God as we do that. 
Uh, many years ago, I remember uh, leading our young adults uh, leadership team, and we were at a cabin at the lake in the middle of winter, and it was cold, and we took some time to walk out into the middle of the lake on the ice and actually lay down in the snow and look up at the stars. Uh, it was like minus 30, and it was pitch black, and the beauty and splendor of God's creation as you look up. Uh, I remember when our kids were young and I was traveling and one trip specifically, I remember I was going to Thailand and uh, they were concerned. They were young at that time. Oh, we're going to miss you, dad, and all this kind of stuff. And I said, you know what? One of the, the deals that we had when I traveled was if you're missing me and I'm missing you, just look at the moon because it's this common point that we can see no matter where we are in the world and we can look at it and we can have this focal point and it's part of God's creation and it was just one of these small things for a kid that helped them to know that we're looking at the same thing, and it connected us. And so my point is, is that there's all these different things. There's, for me in my life, there's all these stories of, of ways and, and means that I need to constantly remind myself to look up, to stop, and to not have that human tendency of eyes down and just looking at our feet. And so spiritually, I think it is so true as well. That stopping to lift our eyes often gives us the best footing possible. That we actually have to stop in our spiritual lives and continually look up. The psalmist says in Psalm 121, verse 1 to 2, writes this, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And many of you know those passages, you've maybe memorized those passages, you've said them, heard them said, because the psalmist understood this, that as we go through life and as we go through challenges and we need God's help, we look up. And he uses this metaphor of this physical mountains that God has created, and we look up at God's beauty and creation, we see the wonder and splendor of God, and we're reminded that he is alive, that he is present, and he cares. And so life's pressures and weights and disappointments and anxiety, they, they often cause us to look down, but Jesus continually invites us to look up. It doesn't eliminate the pain or the challenges in front of us, but it actually helps us to see the circumstances around us differently. And last week, if you were here and you listened to Hakan's story as he told uh, some of his testimony, and one of the pieces that I think impacted all of us in his story was when he gave the account of being in the army and he was beaten by the officer, his commanding officer, and because he was a Christian, and he, he became a Christian, and the officer put a gun to his head and said to renounce his Christian faith, and he said he was weeping, not because he was afraid, but because as he was down on the ground looking up at this officer, he saw Jesus on the other side of him, saying, don't be afraid, I am with you. So for me, it was just another one of these examples of when we lift our eyes and we see Jesus, it's not like it takes away the things right in front of us or the realities of the difficult or challenges that are right in front of us, but we see them differently. Because suddenly we have a perspective that is totally and radically different because we see Jesus and we see that God is with us. And so this morning we're focusing on the ascension of Jesus, and this is what the ascension causes us to do. When Jesus ascended back into heaven... It causes us to lift our eyes and to look for him again. So this past week on May 30th was Ascension Day. It's a day on the Christian calendar that oftentimes we don't think a lot about. It's, it's often overlooked. It's 
sort of the, the small player in the game. Uh, when you think of like Christmas and Easter and even Pentecost Sunday that we celebrate next weekend. But Ascension Day is this day when Jesus returns to his heavenly Father. And yet it is a day that is so important for us to understand. And it's a day that we want to focus on today in our series called 50 Days. And we're going to look at that from the account in Acts chapter 1. And so I'd encourage you to turn your Bibles or flip there on your device, whatever you prefer to use. And we'll, we want to just look at Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 11, and just this first half of this text to understand more about what ascension is all about. And I want to just start by walking through uh, the text verse by verse and just giving us a sense of what's happening here. So the author of this book, as we continue to read, you see that the author is Luke. And he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I write about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And so his former book was the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, he was writing from the perspective of somebody who had been with Jesus, somebody who had done ministry with Jesus, witnessed all that Jesus had him witness, and he wrote about what Jesus began to do and teach. And so it signals something here, because as we keep reading, you'll see that this is the time when Jesus returns to heaven, and part of the point that Luke is making is that Jesus' ministry is not done. It's not done when he returns to the Father. It's what Jesus began to do that he wrote about in his other book, in Jesus' earthly ministry, but now his ministry is changing significantly, but it is continuing. And then he says how he is teaching, the, and how Jesus taught the disciples through the Holy Spirit, and he taught the disciples about the Holy Spirit. And then he continues on in verse 3. And he says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here, Luke makes reference to this 40 days. And Kevin talked about that last week. As people have asked, well, it says here that this is 40 days. Why is this series 50 days? Well, 40 days was from resurrection to ascension that we're looking at today. 50 days was to Pentecost that we'll look at next week, which was the beginning of the church when the Holy Spirit came in power in a very unique way. And so Luke here is talking about what Jesus was teaching them and and how he began by giving them many convincing proofs. I find that so interesting. I'm like, you know, so after the resurrection, Jesus spends this 40 days with his disciples again, teaching them, giving them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And I thought, what other proof would he need to give other than standing there in front of them? You know, sort of like, well, here's some pictures. Here's a before picture and an after picture. Uh, no, it's like, but, but it, it was very important for Jesus that they believed and understood that he truly was alive. He ate with them. He could let them see that he was eating physical food, that he actually needed nourishment after the resurrection. He, he allowed Thomas to put his hand in his side because Thomas didn't believe and wanted more evidence that this is the risen Savior. And so Jesus seemed to just provide for the disciples whatever they needed for them to believe. It was really important that they understood that he was the resurrected Savior just as he promised. 
And so he teaches them many convincing proofs. And the focal point, Luke says, of that 40-day ministry was the kingdom of God. Jesus is lifting their eyes and saying, you need to see the kingdom of God. You need to see beyond your earthly realm, beyond your earthly circumstances, beyond your earthly challenges and problems, and you need to see the kingdom of God in its power. And so he's teaching them about the kingdom. And he says to them, you need to wait. He says, you need to wait. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So he's teaching them about the Holy Spirit. He says, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he's talking and pointing ahead to this Pentecost day. And in our traditional evangelical understanding of this, we understand that the Holy Spirit uh, comes upon us, is, comes and indwells us as we give our life to Jesus, as we believe and receive what Jesus has for us. In other traditions of the Christian uh, church, they, they believe that there is a second filling, that there is this imparting of the Holy Spirit in a unique way that can give different gifts, different power, different expressions. But however we understand that, what we need to see and what Luke is teaching here, and what we see evidence throughout the whole uh, story of Acts, which is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, is that we need a constant uh, invitation, openness to more of the Holy Spirit's power and work in our lives. And it comes in so many forms. It comes in new gifts that God gives us. It comes in new power that the Spirit gives us. It comes in a remarkable love for other people that we cannot do in our own human functioning. And as we understand the love of God in our lives, and we'll see some verses a little bit later that talk about the fullness of God comes as we understand the love of God for our lives and for other people. And so that's what Luke is teaching about here and explaining to them and writing about in this book is that The mission of God can only be done as you have the power of God through His Holy Spirit in your life. And so how Jesus said, wait. Don't just go and do what I've commanded you to do until you actually have the tools and the equipment and the power to do what I've commanded you to do. And it's for the purpose of witness. It's for this commission that God has given you, which is what we call the Great Commission, God's mission in the world to bring his love and saving power to other people of the earth. And he says, you are called to this co-mission with me. But wait until you have my spirit and my power to give witness. In Ephesians 3, Paul reminds us that when we experience how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love really is, that then we are made complete And we have the fullness of life and power of God. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit involves this experience of God's fullness in all of its gifts, its presence, its power, and his love that he has for us. And then let's keep reading in verse 6 and 7. It says this, Then they gathered around him, Luke says, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. And I, when I read that text again, I think Jesus must have been so frustrated. I mean, here he is teaching for 40 days about the kingdom of God, and as they ask him questions, one of the things that they reveal is that they don't get it. 
because they say, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And I can only imagine him kind of saying, okay, people, lift your eyes. I've been teaching you about the kingdom of God, and now you're talking about this horizontal, this human kingdom of Israel, and he's saying it's not about that. It is about the kingdom of God. Can you lift your eyes to see? And not only that, but they're also consumed with timing and saying, when is this going to happen? When are you going to kind of bring this kingdom of Israel back? And again, Jesus is saying it's not about that. It's only for God to know when I would return and bring all things to completion, but it's about the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of Israel. And so this teaching of Jesus continues, continues, continues. And it's like the disciples constantly have their eyes down and Jesus is saying constantly, look up, lift your eyes. And then we have verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here in that one verse, we essentially have the outline and summary of the entire book of Acts. I mean, it it really gives you the outline of all that happens in all the chapters that unfold from here in the book of Acts. As the early church begins and the acts of the Holy Spirit start to spill out over history and how, as just as Jesus said to them, this becomes true. You'll be my witnesses, first of all in Jerusalem, and then you'll be my witnesses in Judea, which is that provincial region, and then you'll be my witnesses even beyond that to Samaria. And then you'll be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And as you read the account of the book of Acts, you see that the gospel and the power of his Holy Spirit just starts to spill out, spill out from Jerusalem. And we are given this power of the Holy Spirit to be God's witnesses. And then in verse 9 to 11, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And there's this remarkable picture of these disciples looking up and watching Jesus return to his heavenly Father. And these angels beside him say, he's going to return to earth in the same way. Look for him. So the ascension is a beautiful, incredible story, and it's such an important part of the work of the Holy Spirit because of what it inaugurated, what it signaled. And as I said, so much happened in these 50 days, this resurrection to Pentecost. There was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He gave them proof that it was real. He made them understand that the resurrection was the foundation of their faith, just as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13, where Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. In fact, you're still in your sins. We're lost. We should be pitied. And so we see that the truth and reality of the resurrection And for them to see and understand that unmistakably was so important for the mission of the church that God was imparting upon these people. It's absolutely central. In fact, when you continue on and read Acts chapter 1, and you look at the last half, and if you look ahead in verse 12 to the end, it's all about choosing a disciple to replace Judas. And it's interesting to me that as they're 
deciding and debating and discerning who is it that's going to replace Judas as one of the twelve in order to be God's witnesses to the world and begin this early church movement. In verse 21, you see, they say this, Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who had been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So what was foundational in terms of the characteristics of who would replace Judas? What was foundational was that it was somebody who had been there. Somebody who had been there right from the beginning of Jesus' baptism, who had been there through his life of ministry, somebody who had seen him crucified on a cross, and somebody who could give witness to the evidence and reality of his resurrection. Because this is foundational to the faith of the church. So that's how they eventually chose, and then they cast lots between the two. They had two people who met all these criteria, and Matthias was the one who was chosen. So this picture that we see of the importance of the resurrection. As we're called to be witnesses to this is what the book of Acts is all about. It's what our faith is all about. Now, I know that I constantly, maybe not constantly, but I quite often talk to you about tension. And I talk to you about the fact that so much of our faith is about understanding these two truths that seem to pull at each other and sometimes even seem to contradict each other, but that the importance of actually being able to hold these things in tension, and they are so central to our faith. And I feel like I should sort of apologize for that, but I won't apologize for that, because I, you see it all over Scripture, all over our theology, all over our understanding of who God is, is that we have to hold these things in tension. So today I want to introduce you to another tension that we have to hold uh, together. And this is, is that our faith and what the book of Acts teaches us, and even what we see right here in Acts chapter 1, is these two things at work. And first of all, that there is an objective reality, and second of all, that there is a subjective experience. And that we have to hold these two things in tension constantly as the church, as we are God's witnesses to the end of the world. So first of all, this objective reality The fact that there is truth, that there is hard facts, that there is evidence, that your faith is based on something that is real, is so important. Jesus spent the 40 days teaching the disciples about the truth of his resurrection because this was objective reality that they had to understand. They had to fully understand and believe to the very core of their being that this was true and real. And so he spent this time teaching them about the objective reality of the resurrection, and that he rose in bodily form, and that this was not something that they were hallucinating, that not something that they just sort of dreamed up, but that this was uh, an objective truth that they could point to. And so it was so important for Jesus to teach them in that way. And so the same is true for us as we are believers in this day, and this is why we study Scripture. That's why the Word of God, the story of God, is so important to us. Why we teach from the Word of God is because there is objective reality truth to your faith. It can be substantiated. It has been substantiated through historical fact, through archaeological fact, through science, through all kinds of things. There is objective truth that you can understand about your faith, and it's real. That when we read these accounts of actual people in the the story of God that we read in Scripture, that these were real people in actual events in real time, people like you and me filled with the Holy Spirit, called by God to do remarkable things that were just ordinary people that God used for his kingdom purposes. And so that objective reality is so important for us to understand, which is why sound biblical teaching will always be part and a priority of our church because we are people of the book. And the book points us to Jesus. 
and the truth of who he is. But then secondly, what Acts teaches us and what the story of God teaches us is what we also have to hold on to is that there is a subjective reality that is every bit as real and important as that objective truth, that that subjective experience that you have, that personal experience in the encounter with the Holy Spirit of God is just so important. And that there are things that happen in our lives that we can't always explain or understand. There is the power of the Spirit, the overwhelming love of God that we experience at times, the way the Spirit of God leads us, guides us, convicts us, challenges us, comforts us. Things that occur, gifts that God gives us that we can't explain, that feel very personal. And sometimes we try to make them normative for everybody else and other people. And what I find so beautiful about this part is that the Holy Spirit just delights in doing unique works in each one of us. And how even the same gift, if somebody has a gift of teaching or somebody has a gift of leading or somebody has a gift of prophecy, those are expressed differently in everybody who has that gift. Nobody looks the same. And that's the beauty of the church. And that's this subjective experience piece that is also so important that we have to have this reality of objective facts and the subjective experience of the Holy Spirit that we cannot deny. Which is why as we talk about discipleship steps, we say what, one of the things that's so important is that you experience and model the love of Jesus. That first of all, you experience it. That you experience it to your inner core because when you experience the love of Jesus and you experience that subjective experience, you have a testimony that nobody can deny. Not only do you have objective facts of your faith now, but you have this testimony of the reality of the power of God in your life that nobody can take from you. There are things in my life over and over again that I cannot explain adequately to people what God has done in my life. The power of his spirit at work within me, the way I've seen God show up, answers to prayer, things that I cannot explain. But they are so important to my faith. And so the book of Acts tells us story after story after story of these subjective experiences that also are there that God delights in giving us. These unique expressions as we open ourselves up to more and more of the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so we need to hold these in tension. And when the church doesn't hold these in tension, we we go to one extreme or the other. Churches do. So some churches who are really strong in the Bible, they become suspicious of anything of the Spirit. And they have all the right teaching, but it's a really dead orthodoxy. And they might have all the right thinking, but they're absolutely dead inside. There's no life. In other churches, they lose sight of Scripture and they lose sight of foundational truth and they simply and exclusively pursue experience of God as the highest value and pretty soon they hit the ditch on the other side. So we need to hold these things in tension and embrace them, these two realities that go together that God delights in giving us. And the ascension points us to that. So a few thoughts about why the ascension matters. The ascension matters because it reminds us that Jesus continues his work. As we saw earlier, that Jesus' work didn't end when he ascended into heaven, but it continues on. As Luke says, what Jesus began to do is what I wrote in the other book. Now I'm writing about what Jesus continues to do as he sits on the throne of God and as he gives us his Holy Spirit now to live among us and within us. He says in Luke 24, verse uh, 49, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Because you see, while Jesus was on earth, he was geographically limited 
to the best of my understanding, and as I read Scripture, he didn't do ministry in Canada. At least I don't see that recorded in Scripture. But now, as he returns to the Father and he gives us his Spirit, it's like the power of God and the presence of God goes out to all the world. Jesus is still at work. He's still on the throne. And so we see that the ascension reminds us of this truth that his work continues through the work of the Spirit. It re, the Spirit regenerates us and makes us new again. The Spirit fills individuals with special anointings. The Spirit gives boldness to us when we feel weak or timid. Timid. The Spirit encourages people who are discouraged. The Spirit gives words to speak as a witness. The Spirit directs our steps of where we go and what not to do and what to do. It calls and sends people on their special mission. And so God is still at work through Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit, the triune God. Secondly, the ascension reminds us that Jesus is installed as one true king of the world. That he's been placed on the throne. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it fulfills the prophecies of Daniel and what we read about in Revelation. That this is the inauguration of his kingdom. That he is victorious. He has conquered death. He has overwhelmed the grave. And he sits victorious at the right hand of the Father. The ascension reminds us that Jesus returns to his Father. And as he says in Scripture that the Father has sent him out and now he is returning to the Father, almost like a courageous, wounded soldier returning home to be with loved ones. And he prepares the way for our homecoming as well. Which is why we don't have to fear death anymore. He overcame death. And as we put our faith in Jesus, the conquering conquering King, he sits at the right hand, returned to the Father, and he prepares a place for us because this earth is not our home. The ascension matters because he is our mediator and he is our high priest. We don't have time. We could go into the book of Hebrews and see all kind of texts that remind us and teach us about Jesus' role as the high priest and how God says to the angels that you need to worship the Son. He has been exalted and glorified. So that Jesus is praying and interceding on our behalf, as it says in Romans chapter 8. That he is alive, he is the king on the throne, that he is currently active in the world and in our lives, and it gives us courage and hope. And you need to know that Jesus understands and knows your struggles and your pain. And he intercedes on your behalf through his Holy Spirit. Priest means bridge builder. Someone who intercedes, and that's what Jesus is doing between us and God. And finally, the ascension matters because it reminds us that Jesus will return as judge and king, as it said in Acts chapter 11. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. He will return one day. And we have this glorious inheritance and future that cannot be taken because of what Jesus has done. The kingdom of the world, as it says in Revelation 11, has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah. And he will return, and, or he will reign forever and ever. So the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to us when we place our life in Jesus and believe in his name. But it's also something that we need to continually be open to and asking for more of the fullness of God in our lives through his Spirit. Knowing that, knowing uh, about Jesus was not enough, it's knowing the intimacy of his spirit and his power in our life for the mission of God. You know, these disciples, they had been with Jesus for years and they were just finally understanding his teaching, but now he says, just wait. Wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to give you the power of this teaching now. The power and the presence of the wisdom of God. And then you can embark on, his, on this mission. And so he's reminding them, 
stop looking down, look up. And stopping to lift our eyes gives us the best footing possible to lift our eyes, to focus them on Christ, and to be reminded of his power and his presence in our life. I want to invite the worship team, if they would come up and lead us in response. And I want to conclude with prayer and with this one last verse from Ephesians three twenty to 21. At the end of this prayer where Paul is, is praying and he's saying, would you understand the love of God? He's, he's praying that they would understand how long and how wide and how high and how deep God's love really is. That they would understand the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And if you do that, he says, you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And then at the end of that, Paul prays this prayer. And he says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.